We're here to talk about micro-budget filmmaking and distribution. Something not so easy, but everyone here is going to talk about um, how they've made it happen. Um, and we'd certainly love to hear from you um, and your experiences as well. Um, so I'm going to um, just say who's on the panel, but then I'll let everyone introduce themselves. Um, so everyone's filmmakers. Um, I would just introduce myself. Um, my name's Tiffany. I've come to South By for 15 years. Um, I'm from Houston, but I've lived in London a long time. I work for a company called Studio Canal, which is um, sort of that weird indie kind of um, landscape in Europe. Um, and I, yes, yeah, so I work on the marketing side, but I also write for trade uh, magazines like Screen International and Filmmaker Magazine. Um, and I've yeah, written a lot about independent filmmaking and worked in independent filmmaking, so I'm very passionate about it. Um, so I'm going to introduce, this is Laura Reich, um, and then over here is Zaina Thyris, and then we have Clinton Cornwell, and everyone uh, lives sort of across the U.S. Um, I think it also reiterates you don't have to live in New York, L.A. to make films, um, so I'm just going to segue right over. Laura, t tell us a little bit about your background. Sure. Um, so I'm a producer and head of production uh, at a company called Vibrant Penguin. We do a lot of like branded content, sort of multimedia, emerging media, and then at the same time developing our own original creative. And then I work on a lot of projects outside of um, that work that is often in the micro budget space. Um, and yeah, bringing that sort of combining those two worlds, making, making things all the time, essentially. Hi everyone. I'm Zaina from Chicago. Um, I am a creative strategist by day. So I'm the filmmaker with a full-time job. I've always had a full-time job. I make films for fun. Um, and creative strategy, basically in advertising, uh, I work with brands or our clients to synthesize demographic information, client information, and write creative briefs for copywriters to um, write the commercials. So that's what I do to pay my bills. And then outside of that, I'm an indie filmmaker, a weekend filmmaker specifically, um, doing micro-budget films. Um, I've always worked with very, very small budgets, most self-funded for my savings account. And my films are distributed on Tubi, Amazon Prime, and IndieFlix. <laughs> Clinton Cornwell, uh, I'm a writer and director. I've directed two micro-budget feature films, probably about 17 short films at this at this point. Uh, I also recently became head of the film program at Tennessee State University, which is a HBCU in Nashville. Uh, I also currently am editing a feature documentary called Light Up. Uh, it's about queer black men in Atlanta. I'm also the cinematographer currently on a feature horror film in production, also in Atlanta, kind of doing the weekend thing there. Um, I have a creative consulting business and coaching business. We're called Story Life, and we have a podcast called the Story Life Podcast that focuses on the creative process, especially uh, through the eyes of filmmakers. Uh, so yeah, a little bit of everything. Oh, I also do freelance location sound works. If anybody <laughs> needs, needs any help with that. Uh, so a little bit of everything. And I feel like that's really part of the, the game of being an independent filmmaker as well. So, yeah. So I think we'll start with sort of this, um, this question that even amongst us, we've had, um, a lot of questions about is what, um, what constitutes a micro budget. And, um, it's really interesting, you know, what everyone's thoughts are about that. So, um, and, and, you know, I'll kind of go through everyone, maybe talk about how that pertains to you and your budgets, you know, even like what, what, um, size budget for overall for your film does, does that mean? Yeah. Um, we're going down the line. Uh, <laughs> so I think micro budget like can mean a lot of different things. Usually like SAG is a reference point, right, for a lot of this conversation. They have a micro-budget contract. It's 20K. Um, and then they also – but they're like, you know, uh, ultra-low-budget feature is 300K, right? So I think like the span of what's considered a micro-budget varies a lot. Um, and just when we were talking about it, I think micro-budget isn't like sort of a an approach in a lot of ways where your, where your project is being made – 
you know, not through funding solely, right? It's a project that where you're collaborating with creators that you like, everybody is, a lot of people are donating their time. Um, and that it is sort of right in this space where like you need to find close collaborators where you're making an exchange and it's less so about, right, a job or a, a paycheck or, you know, that sort of thing. But it's a creative endeavor where you're finding a team of collaborators you're working with to make a film, um, which is what I consider a micro budget film. I would wholeheartedly agree. Um, the biggest budget that I've had is $10,000. The smallest I've had is $1,200. I've done feature docs and narrative shorts. I'm branching into narrative features this year, but um, micro budget, I, it's always been to me anything like under 50K. Um, so, and, and to your point, the approach is really, it is really collaborative. Um, I have actually have a podcast called the Micro Budget Indie Filmmakers Podcast, and it walks filmmakers through the entire micro budget production process from script to screen. And each season has a corresponding workbook with templates. But the whole premise of that podcast is really about collaboration and really about finding filmmakers who are just as hungry as you are, networking across, meeting people at events like this, and working with skeleton crews. Um, the biggest crew that I've had is 10 people. I've done feature documentaries with five people before in one location. You know, So like it's, it's really that mindset of it, we're not making a blockbuster. We're telling a story. And what's the most efficient way to do that while still maintaining you know, the quality of the film and maintaining the story? Yeah, I think y'all nailed it. And so something I'll just add from my own personal experience is the way that I like to think about it in terms of the smallest amount of money I can typically do a day production for. And that number for me, I found is on average around $500 per, per shooting day is kind of how I like to think about it when I'm budgeting my things. Now that there's a lot of experience that comes from that in terms of the films that I've made for myself and how I like to make my movies. Uh, but um, at the end of the day, though, I mean, you can do micro budget filmmaking for zero dollars a day under the right circumstances. And I think, you know, something that really defines micro budget filmmaking is the spirit of not letting our resources define the types of movies we're going to make, the stories that we're going to tell. It's not letting it, that stop us from going out and creating our art, because I think this is something we'll be repeating over and over again in this panel. Just the creation of your art, just the creation of your films, even if they're made for zero dollars, that act, that effort, that has value in and of itself. And, and that will gain you so much in this world that will attract people to you you will learn from that experience and so i think that really for me is what the spirit of micro budget filmmaking is about and if we s start to segue um into the distribution side which everyone knows whether you have a lot of money or you have no money is extremely challenging right now um how i guess maybe one question could be um what are you know do you need a distributor um to get your film out there or can you do this diy um, and if you do it diy do you need an aggregator um i know it's kind of a big question um you know but as you're starting to think about okay you finished production and i i need to get this out there what are what are the first things um you start to think about in terms of who can help you with that yeah i mean i don't think you need anyone Right. Like the real, I mean, you need, like, you'll need a team, a movie cannot, I mean, okay, actually, I don't want to say this. Someone could prove me wrong very easily. I think you could make it totally by yourself. You know, there are going to be places you can't get to. That's right. true. But you can make your movie, you can get it somewhere for people to see. Like the only thing stopping you is your ingenuity, your willingness to reach out to people and your tenacity to continue pushing. You know, like I think it's the the thing I always like reference is like let everybody else tell you no. Like don't be the person telling yourself no. So go ahead, do what like tell the stories you want to tell, make the media you want to make. But it is like, you know, and I do think you have to like you should certainly have a plan and a goal, but like for example, you know, you can put your movie on Vimeo on their site for, you know, to make money on it as part of their like Vimeo on demand. There is no barrier to entry there besides making sure your film meets their specifications, right? That's distribution. You can put your film on YouTube. 
monetize it. That's distribution, right? Like there is a path to distribution for you no matter what. You can have a lofty goal of getting like to a distributor. Um, that has its own hurdles and like issues and like barriers. But I think nothing should stop anyone from thinking they can get their movie to an audience. Agreed. I, for me, uh, the distribution, the marketing and distribution plan starts as soon as the script is done or as soon as the uh, production outline is done for the documentary. It starts very early on because I'm always thinking, okay, who is the audience I want to reach with my film? And the reality is not everybody's going to resonate with your film. Not everybody's going to like your film. And that's okay. We've all seen films that either we loved or not so much. So every film has an audience. And then once I identify, okay, who is this, who is the audience I want to reach with that film? That is what dictates my film festival distribution list. I'm looking at the film festivals that cater to the audience that I want to reach. And a lot of times there are those like really niche indie film festivals in the towns that I've never heard of that have the exact theme of my film. Um, outside of that, looking at unconventional ways to distribute my film too. So some of my docs are very educational. So working with an educational library distributor was really great for me because they were the ones who had the context to thousands of schools, whether they were, you know, they had in anthropology programs, women's studies programs, African-American history programs that were perfectly aligned with the theme of my film. Um, same with uh, national conferences. Um, getting my film screened at the American Public Health National Association's conference was incredible and better than any festival that my film ever screened at. Um, so just for me, it starts once the film is done, identifying that audience and then crafting a very specific distribution plan based on how I want to get there, how I want to reach that audience. And sometimes that involves a distributor if they have the contacts that I don't have. But a lot of times it's it's that outreach that I'm doing myself. Yeah, sort of piggybacking off of what you're saying, I think, you know, traditionally the word distribution almost is shorthand for maximum extraction of revenue for your film. But I feel like for us up here, I know it's true. And certainly I feel like probably for a lot of people in this room, your goal isn't necessarily how do I extract the most dollars for my amount of time invested in my film? Like, so the question to me starts with, in terms of distribution, what are my goals at the very mm -hmm. beginning of a project? Or once I've finished a project, what are my goals, right? You don't need, need to necessarily fall into what Hollywood wants to do, wants you to do with your film or what the world wants you to do with your films. What is your personal goals with your films? Is it just to connect with a few people personally uh, about the content of your film? There's lots of different ways to go about that. Is there? Uh, is it to sort of up your profile as a filmmaker or up up your um, up your kind of like career path? Like, there's ways to go about that. Is it to get the message of the film out there, getting in front of as many people as possible? There's ways to go about that. And so, you know, and I I, I feel like very few of us is it about let me just make the most dollars back as possible. I mean, filmmaking is an expensive endeavor, and I don't begrudge anybody trying to make money back from their films but often in the space that's not our number one goal and so it's important to check in with yourself like what do you really want from your film and then develop a strategy around that and for example my first feature film 12 months from the very beginning we were making that film it was like an experimental way of making that film and i told everybody on the team like hey i don't know how this is going to work we may end up putting this thing just out on youtube at the end of this but at the end of the day, this film is just about us, one, creating something that we're all extremely proud of just for the experience of it, and two, hopefully raising our career a little bit by connecting with other people, connecting with other filmmakers through this film. And in terms of strategy, that made my main distribution, the film festival circuit, or when I meet filmmakers that I'm connecting with, just sending them a screener so that they can see my work, I can see their work, yeah. and we can connect as creatives and hopefully like help each other on our journeys. And for me, that's distribution. Mm -hmm. Now, I've recently signed with a distributor on the film, right? And we signed a distribution company. But to me, it's almost been like an afterthought because I don't care that much about making a bunch of money on the film. I self-financed it and I was happy to do that from the very beginning of the process. So what happens now in terms of the dollar value coming back, I don't care that much. I'd like to get it out to the world and see what comes of that. But I'm also, I'm on to the next film. I went through the film festival circuit. I've connected with other filmmakers. I'm on to other films now because I did my distribution yeah, plan. For sure. It's a good point. The goal conversation, which we come back to a lot when we've been talking about this, is like with distribution, 
of course, like every filmmaker wants to make money because then they can make more films, right? If your film makes money, you can tell someone your film made money and then they'll give you money to make a film or you got that money back, which means you can now make another film. But I do think, especially with micro budget and working in an indie space, like you have to have secondary goals or, you know, tertiary goals where you're like, what am I really hoping to get out of this as a creator? You know, what am I building here? Because it is, I think like, you do just have to be making stuff. And so that means a lot for a lot of us, we're making stuff in the micro budget space. So what are you really trying to do when you're asking your community to support you in telling a story, right? And I think you owe them like an outcome, right? If you're asking someone to come on board with you to give, give you their time, you should have a goal in mind. You should have a vision for where you want to see it go so that you're honoring all this like sweat and blood that people are giving you to tell a story. For sure. I think it's the goal conversation we've talked about a lot. And it's it really is about defining what success is for you. And I had to learn that very early on in my filmmaking career. Like I knew that I was not cut out to write the $20 million scripts and go to Hollywood and pitch. That was just not me. I knew that I was the filmmaker that was going to have a full full time job with PTO and you know like that that was literally me and i was going to make films when and how i could you know based on the connections i had the the collaborators that were interested in collaborating with me and to me being able to make films not because you know i got to write something that's going to sell no i'm writing what i want to write and i'm making what i want to make and that to me having the autonomy in in that way is success to me it's not really about the recouping of the cost or how many millions of people see the film. You know, to your point, if I can get 200 students to watch my film called Black Feminist and one of them goes on, you know, to do some incredible work because of it, that's success for me. Um, Another one of my films that I did, a filmmaker emailed me and said it saved their life. And that to me is like, okay, that's the impact that I want to make as a filmmaker. So similarly here, like we all have different individual goals, but for me, it's in the micro budget space. It's not about money. And that's why I love being in, in this space. I have a question in terms of, um, so your goal, let's say, you know, you want to get it to as many people, um, or you want to get it to a specific audience, but you don't know how. So do you take on a sales agent? Um, and if so, what is that process or like how much money are they going to take from you, especially when you don't have much money or, and, or do you get a a distributor, you know, and a specific distributor that, that works in that niche, um, you know, that you're looking at. And again, how much are they going to take from your budget? Yeah, I'll say like a general answer to this question is that uh, I'm sure y'all are learning already, but Almost every part of the filmmaking process, you can learn and do yourself now. And that includes everything with distribution. You can do it yourself, and that's going to be the most sort of like money-wise the best way for you to do it. Because everything that you are not doing, somebody else is taking a chunk of your film, right? Uh, Whether it's distributors, aggregators, marketing people, whoever, everybody's going to want a piece of your film or payment for you for to put it that effort towards your film. And so, you know, I think grounding yourself first in sort of how could I do this myself? What is it going to take for me? Am I interested in doing that? A lot of times the answer is no. A lot of times the answer, it's worth having these people do the work for you, but know that at the end of the day, the most quote unquote profitable money wise way for you to do things is to do it yourself. (laughs) Like there's no magic bullet. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, the point is though access, right? Like you, like a sales agent, they're going to take a 10 to 20% cut minimum of any deal they get. And then, you know, so you get a, that deal, that person's taking another 30% cut, right? So what you end up trickling down is like tiny, but so the film I'm in distribution on right now called all sorts, it's a feature. We ended up, not signing with a distributor. We had a sort of horrible experience. Uh, We were negotiating with someone for months. They ended up having a bad weekend with a movie. They dropped the deal. We signed with another distributor and they um, ended up like disappearing after a few months and we managed to get our rights back. But we were working with like a producer's rep who worked for a flat fee to pitch us out. And she was able to leverage that relationship to get our contract nullified. Um, and so after that, we were, we decided like, we're done. We're going to go with like an aggregator, which means we just pay a service fee to get our film on a site. So all sorts is on, you know, iTunes, Amazon, 
um, and we put it up on Vimeo ourselves. Um, and so they don't, we just paid them for that. They don't take a cut. That was just for our TVOD, which we can get into all the windowing. But, you know, like um, we did end up also working with another producer who essentially worked as a sales agent for us. And she, you know, she got us on airlines like we're on Emirates and Qatar now. That was one of the best deals our film got. 100% worth signing with her to take our film there. Mm-hmm. There was no way we were ever going to get our film on airlines without her, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, it is your your film. Like, these people are doing work for you, right? So they're taking a cut. It's understandable. And they're getting you access to something you might not get otherwise. And we did actually make money off of airlines, which is amazing. But, like, you know, even from that deal, someone, like, saw the movie this sort of is to your point of like the impact you make. Someone saw the movie flying from the UAE to I think Amsterdam. He was like, I loved your movie. Uh, my, I want my wife to see it. Can I do your French subtitles for you? He did French subtitles for us. Now our film has French subtitles, you know, like it's that stuff like that is like amazing. The community just by making something like, and getting it out there, like the community that comes back to you just being open and receptive and responsive to people like that's so random. I could never predict something like that happening. And it's, it's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Tiffany, you made such a, you, you pointed out something, um, how to get your film to the audience. And when it comes to understanding audiences, and this is a little bit of my strategy brain coming in because this is part of my day job, but it's really important for you to understand the demographic, for you to understand the market. What are the things that they're into? How are they consuming content? You know, like what, in what ways are you able to best market your film to reach this particular group that you're trying to, you know, get your film seen by? And for me, like I will, I will literally go to the film festivals that I want to submit my films to and I'll see what filmmakers follow them. And if they fit into the demographic that I think would resonate with my film, I look at the previous films that they, the film festival has programmed years prior to see if this is in line with this type of things that they program or if the film has a theme and if the film festival has a theme and if that theme is in line with what my film will you know fit under so doing your research to really understand audiences is also a huge part of figuring out when how and where to distribute your film because if there's if you are dealing with a market that you feel like you don't have direct access to or you can't really figure out that's when I'm like okay I need to work with the distributor who can tap into this particular audience but if it's an audience that I feel like I can easily reach through a, a specific market plan, then that's when I'll do it myself. So it just, it really depends on the project. It really depends on the audience and also understanding that audience. Well, and just saying like, that's, that's something that we're lucky to be in the age that we are is all of that demographic information used to be locked behind closed doors and almost inaccessible to the average filmmaker. But now you can use the tools available to you oftentimes to figure out where your demographics are, where your audiences are, who might like your content, like where those people are at and and make those connections a little bit more easily. Like you're never going to have a 100% conversion rate. Not everybody's going to be right for your film. Not everybody's going to love your film. Our art form is extremely subjective, you know, but helping yourself out by putting in in front of people who are more predisposed to your work, you can find out who those people are now much more easily than you were able to in the past. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I'll just say real quick too, like, um, this is sort of going back a little bit, but like when also when like a deal doesn't work out, our perspective a lot has been like, that's fine. Like if it, you shouldn't try to force things, I guess is what I'm saying. Because if someone is like not interested, they're not going to do the work for your film. Right. So like trying to, because you have something in your mind, you want a specific thing and you're like, I'm not going to settle for anything else. If those people are telling you they don't want your film, you should listen to them. Like, so in, in some ways the deals that didn't work out for us, it's like a blessing, right? Because why, why would we have wanted a deal with someone where you know, they're not interested anymore. We want, you want people who are enthusiastic and who, and that's sort of to your point of finding people who are working in the space that your film is functioning in is you want to find the people who are enthusiastic about your film because they are going to put the effort behind getting it out for you. Yeah. Just like summing that point up, oftentimes when we're making our micro budget films, it's like, Hey, let's, let's level up the film by finding the most professional person or the, the most professional actor. And like, 
you know, have them, maybe they'll do a favor for us. It'd be lovely for them to do a favor. And sometimes that works out, right? But a lot of times if you're asking people to like take a step down from what they usually get paid or the kind of work environment they're usually a part of, they give you less effort as a result. They're not giving you as much of their time. And so there's almost like a micro budget independent like vibe you feel from yeah. people. And I, my, my experience has been I'd much rather have somebody who's there with the right vibe, with the right enthusiasm, who's really down for the process to yeah. engage in it, be a part of it. Because there's clear incentives there for you, right? I've, we've got a lot of directors, directors here in this room. And something that I think is important as a leader of a project is, and you kind of mentioned this earlier, what are the people working with you getting out of your film? Right. You should be able to answer that question. Everybody should have reasons why they're working for it, even if it's not money, right? If you're not offering money, you should be able to be offering something else like, you know, some collaboration you can offer them in return, somebody you can connect them to, some sort of experience that they haven't had before. But that should be clear to you as a leader because you have a responsibility as a filmmaker like when you're bringing people onto your projects to make sure that they're having a good experience and to make sure they're getting something out of your project and if you can't provide something for those people maybe you should have less people on your project you Mm -hmm. know and and exposure is vague you know like i've heard this a lot from people like oh you're like you'll get great exposure no, no, no. Like for me, I provide every single person on my team, even if it's a team of four people that I'm making a documentary with, with the first of all, the production schedule. So they know when they're going to get footage for the reel. They're going to know what we're shooting on. So they'll know the quality of footage that they'll get for their reel. Um, IMDb credit and the film festival distribution list, the distribution plan. Like these are the festivals I'm submitting to. We cannot guarantee acceptance, but it shows that you have a plan for your film. And that makes, you know, even non-monetary incentives. I've worked with camera operators who wanted an an opportunity to DP something, to be like the lead cinematographer and put together the shot list for something and they never had a chance to. Absolutely. I've worked with art directors in, you know, the agency space, creative agency space who wanted a chance to actually design a a movie poster. I'm like, sure, absolutely. And so there's a lot of different ways that you can, you know, offer non-monetary incentives for collaborators and not feel bad about it either. There's a difference between collaborating and exploiting. None of us are multi-million dollar corporations. And we all understand that, like, if we had the money, we absolutely would pay each other's day rates. But if for me, working a full-time job and saving up $3,500 to make a film over the course of a weekend, no, I can't afford to pay an $800 day rate for everybody on this team. That's that's exceeds my budget, you know? So figuring out, you know, understanding that it's okay to move forward in a collaborative type of nature, but making sure you're not exploiting filmmakers by actually providing real incentives that, that they would value mm-hmm. is really, really important. And well, this sort of taps in, um, but I know a lot of people, um, again, if you're working on a small set, will say, well, will, our, will the film be seen on the big screen? You know, will it get a theatrical release? And, um, and this can also tie in with windowing. Um, you know, what can you, is it, can you get a theatrical release for a micro budget? And we you talked about this a little bit about how you, how you could get a couple one-off screenings, um, um, and then you can also talk about like, do you also then kind of go a more traditional route of distribution and aim for the TVOD, the SVOD, the AVOD, or can, you know, nowadays it seems like things, you can go straight to AVOD or, but then can you still have a one-off theatrical screening? Um, I know there's lots of different answers for that. Yeah. So there's, people are always going to tell you there are rules, uh, there aren't like there's always an exception i mean like we've been we were told like cable's impossible because we already did our tvod but then we had a cable distributor come ask us to want to screen the film you know so it is like everybody i think like the big thing is even us like we're gonna have our opinions right but the truth is like take it into the whole worldview of the ecosystem of the distribution right like you will always find an exception. But I will say, I think there is some truth to windowing. So generally, I'll do a a real quick version, I guess, right? So you start with theatrical because that's the biggest ask of your audience. You're asking them to leave their home and buy a ticket and sit in an audience. Then you go to TVOD, which is uh, transactional EST um, television on demand, right? So that's where they're buying or renting. 
that's another that's like the next threshold right then you go to then it's usually SFOD, right subscription on demand so they've paid to be a subscriber and then it's avod advertising on demand which means really anybody who's willing to watch an advertisement can see it right and they window it because the idea is that though once it's on with advertising people aren't going to pay to see your movie right so that's why you do your tvod before you do your svod because then they're just going to watch it on their subscription instead of paying for it i think there's some truth to this but i think it's sort of like and some distributors might tell you they don't want your movie anymore because it is available on tvod or because it's on avod you know they might say maybe the they view educational your educational rights as in conflict with AVOD because the library lets someone watch it, you know, without an ad, whereas, you know, uh, AVOD wants someone to watch it with that ad. So they're saying, oh, you're, the audience is just going to go to Canopy. Um, but even, well, just a quick note, even with that, like your educational rights can be divided even more. Like these are all, sorry, these are all different rights that your film has, right? And understanding that too, like our airline rights are a specific right our our hotel right is a specific right our educational right is a specific right and so all of those are like segmented and you can sign them all to one person which is what a distributor generally wants they say i want to take all your rights for your film the question here is are they going to exploit all those rights if they can't tell you how they're going to exploit all those rights you should not sign your rights to that distributor if they're saying we have a great plan to get you like your TVOD rights exploited, you should say, great, then I want this agreement to be only for the transactional EST rights, you know, like I, and then you keep the rest of those rights and you find someone to exploit your educational rights. You find someone to exploit your hotel rights. Like don't over sign your rights away, especially as an indie filmmaker, because a lot of those distributors don't have a plan for each of those windows for each of those rights. Um, I will say theatrical, just to, really to get back to your question. Theatrical is very hard to make money because to get people to go to a theater, especially after the pandemic, is hard. Our film All Sorts did do a theatrical release. We did it on our own with um, ticket sale, like ticket sale splits. So we didn't um, four wall, which is another term we were discussing earlier, where you pay the theater to screen your film. Um, so that. It takes a lot of advertising effort, right? So every time we went to a theater and said, are you willing to screen our film? We said, here's our here's our marketing plan for this screening, right? Because they don't want to take the risk on your film and putting it in a theater if no one's going to show up because then they've wasted a bunch of resources on you, um, which is why theatrical is so tricky. But there's even a whole world of theatrical options out there. If you're like, I want theatrical, there's a ton of creative like platforms for that. We used one called Proludio, which works with art house theaters. We got our film there so that the art house theaters can program your film. They send you all the theaters that have it. I, we emailed every single theater that used that service. There's another one called like Connecta, Caneva or something. Anyway, there's lots of options. So if you're like, I want my movie to screen in theaters, there are paths for that. It's just that you know, that's a goal thing. Like, is it just the optics? You want to say your movie's screened in a theater? Great. But like, do you want that theater to be empty? You know, like, yeah. it, like, does that, is that meaningful to you still? The fact, just the fact that it's screened, but who's in the audience? There is no audience if you're not putting the muscle behind telling people you're having a screening and why they're showing up, which is why a lot of independent filmmakers travel with their films, right? Because the sell is I'm here with my film you're by coming to my film, you're getting access to me. You're getting to hear my story, but that's also something that you have to has costs. Right. Yeah. I think you made a, a really good point that there are no rules for me. I love getting my film on a streaming platform and targeting the very niche, small indie film festivals that don't have rules around programming. So like, it doesn't matter if your film is on a streaming platform or available to the public because they're 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 a smaller festival. But those are some of the the best festivals. To, you know, get get filmmakers in a room, screen your project, and then let them know you can watch the film on this platform. Tell your friends to go watch the film on the platform. So kind of doing it backwards is a way that I love doing it because it's continuously driving pools of audiences to a particular platform. Um, 
and then for some filmmakers, it's like, oh no, I want to premiere at you know an Oscar qualifying film festival, and I want to try to meet with a sales agent to sell it to get it on a platform. There are literally no rules <laughs> to, to doing it. You just have to figure out what makes sense for you and what aligns with what you would see as you know the most successful and the most viable option for your film. Yeah, it definitely comes back to, again, what are your objectives at the end of the day? But I don't know about y'all, but so many letters, AVOD, TVOD, there's so many There's so many yes. things, there's so many details to all this stuff. And the fact of the matter is, with technology right now and how tied up our industry is with, like, the whims of corporations like Amazon and YouTube and Netflix and things like that, things can change on a dime just yeah. on the decision that one of these corporations makes uh, and in fact, I've seen it. It's like one week Amazon Prime is taking all independent films and paying 12 cents per minute. And then the next week they're paying like a penny per minute. And that whole like method of like releasing your film online suddenly dead. It's not worthwhile. And that just changes just like that. And so I think one of the messages here is it's, it's a lot. There's a lot of stuff out there. It is it is super overwhelming. And if you're feeling that like that's not just you that that's that's everybody else that's us up here too but i think it's on you as the independent filmmaker to to educate yourself and to make sure that you're going out there finding the information because it's constantly changing a lot of things that we're saying here you know are going to be out of date soon and so when you're out there ready to release your film whether it's a short film or a feature film you know put in the work as your as a creator to educate yourself about what current distribution is like, what's working for people, what's not working for people. And some of the resources that I've really used to to do that is there's lots of great independent filmmaking podcasts out there that talk about distribution a lot and, and have recent guests that, that are up on those things. Um, you know, there's YouTube channels out there. And somewhere I found is like Facebook groups and Reddit groups because if you look for articles, right, if you just like Google independent film distribution you get some article from like six years ago which is like this is all useless information this isn't relevant anymore but if you go into places like reddit or uh there's facebook groups which if you add me on instagram i'll happily link you to some of the, the these facebook groups that i'm talking about that'll help have up-to-date distribution information there's filmmakers there who are currently doing it in the process with these companies talking about how much they're getting paid what they're making what's their experience like with all these distributors it's up to the date up to the minute like information and they're happy to share as part of the community so come be a part of these communities and like have that exchange contribute positively to them because nobody's bringing the information to us unfortunately these companies don't want to give us information they don't want us to know what the best path is we have to help each other out and through these like community sites is about it's i've found is one of the best way to find that information yeah. you have a question then oh. oh sorry sorry i didn't see yeah um so the title of the panel is a micro budget but i heard you mention independent film a little bit yeah and i recently took a uh, advanced direction class where the guy just like destroyed our dreams really by saying look independent film died with blockbuster and you're only going to be micro budget forever because even if you did get there's five very major studios, even if you did get a, a gig with them, they're gonna tell you what to do. You're not gonna see your vision. The age of the auteur is dead. That guy sucks. Yeah, like fuck him. Right. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm wondering, like, when you talk about advancing your career, like, how, like, <clears throat> his proof was like name an auteur, and we all named a bunch, and he was like, yeah, they're all from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. There's no new ones, you know. Well, who's next? So, I'm wondering, like, is there is there hope for that sort of thing? I mean, can you get to a major studio where they're going to let you do your vision, or like, is um, right anyway? This is a wrong. Thing. No, I mean, if so, micro budgeting is independent film. Independent film is a term that. You know, what does it mean? You know, A24, people call that independent. Those are million-dollar movies. Okay, are you considering that independent? In a lot of ways, you know, it's outside the main studio system. But so I, the, the independent film spectrum is huge, right? Um, and I think what we're talking about specifically is, like, not letting any of those barriers stop you. Not letting a budget stop you. Like, not letting anything stop you from telling a story if you feel passionately about telling a story. Um, but I would say, yeah, I would say like that is patently not true, I guess. And it comes down to two, like, what is his metric for success, for auteur, for any of those things? And it seems to me that he's, his is, um, making money in a box office. Is that going to happen for your micro budget? Amazing. If it does amazing, but the reality is no, it's probably not. Is your micro budget going to make money? Maybe not, right? And that's sort of what we're getting at is like, what are your goals? Because part of it is 
building, right? You're, you want to make movies. If, if, if you're here, it is because you want to make movies, I'm guessing. So if you want to make movies, do it. Don't like, don't let any of these barriers stop you. But what that means is you're collaborating with your peers. You're right. Like you need to tap into your people at your level, people coming up and work with them. But I do think it's like, if your goal is to have a box office smash, you know, like you can work towards that goal, but like that you're going to be destined to be very unhappy. <laughs> but if you want to be a filmmaker, you can be. And, and I think it's, it's amazing. Like collaborating, like just meeting you all has been so life-giving yeah. and fulfilling. And like, you know, like to me, that's what I'm here for. I'm here to help people tell stories and work with people that I think are talented and make, make an impact. Maybe it's not as big. Maybe this auteur argument is like a national thing, but I think everything in media has become smaller, right? Every, every group that is watching stuff is more concentrated, you know, just as a small example, like we work with Twitch. Sometimes we do like a streaming show. I get into that community. I'm like, these are millions of people doing stuff I've never heard of before, you know? And it's like, but to them, that's huge. Right. So it is just that, like, I think the networks and the world is becoming smaller because there's so many more places to access thing. And I think that's the Artur argument is that before there was one, one Avenue, right. And now there is thousands of avenues. Yeah. So there are all these people being auteurs in their own sphere. And that's amazing. I I was I can uh, think of an example in the UK um, during lockdown. Someone made a, a film, a horror film, uh, for literally I don't know five hundred bucks, and uh, you know it went viral. Or, you know it got lots of attention on YouTube, and because of that, then he got um, I don't know how, how much, but he got a fair chunk of money um, to make a, a, a much bigger budget film just out of lockdown, and it was just because he just was like, I'm not, I, I'm going to go for it. And so I, I think I, I do think it is possible. I, I think I think these are like stepping stones. You have to go for it in order to get 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 there. But it's also I mean, and I can only speak for myself. I have zero interest in the Hollywood studio circuit whatsoever. I've been to L.A. once in my life. And it's like I just to me, being a part of the machine is just not appealing to me. And we keep coming back to this point of like, you have to define what success is for you. I am not trying to make a box office hit. I am not trying to work with any of the studios because to your point, you lose autonomy over your project the moment you sign a deal with them. It is no longer your project. Your vision, it's really, it becomes what's going to sell. Ryan Coogler was like, that was not the version of Black Panther that I wanted y'all to see. And it's like, it's not... It's not yours once it becomes an, an entities. And I think that the beauty of micro-budget filmmaking is being able to maintain that autonomy and that in and of itself is the success. So I, I could not give any advice, any direction, anything pertaining to getting into that Hollywood scope, that Hollywood circuit, that studio circuit. Because um, that's just not – that to me is not where my passion even, even lies. Yeah, you, you, you ask, is the dream dead? And I'd say – if your dream is to work with a studio and have full creative control, yeah, that dream is dead because the reason we don't hear about these auteurs anymore is because the movie studios used to just be movie studios. Now they're all owned by corporations who don't give a fuck about making creative movies. They just want to meet their their dollar, their profits, their whatever. Like a lot of movies released by studios now are loss leaders for other products and stuff. So they don't care about your artistic vision. So if that's your dream – that dream might be dead. But in terms of the, the dream of going out there, making your art, making your movies, that's alive more than it ever has been. Because in the past, you needed huge amounts of money more even just to make yeah. a short film because of the cost of film stock and the cost of all the technology. The prices have come way, way down. Yeah. And like, you know, almost like 95, 99% of your art form as a director, as a storyteller can be practiced with no budget at all now. And that's never been more possible than in this moment right now. So if your dream is to make like a Marvel movie and have full creative control, yeah, that's not a realistic dream. You're going to make a Marvel movie, you're going to make the movie that Marvel wants you to make, right? But if your dream is to go out there and create and, and, and create art that changes you as a person and that affects the people around you and it has you having amazing collaborative experiences with people, like that's what I'm here for. And that dream like you can go do that 
as soon as you get out of this panel, go make something like yeah. right yeah. right now. Yeah. Uh, and that it's it's very exciting. Yeah. And I wanted to segue to uh, kind of Zena going back to what you talked about reaching like your passion and your passion going to the audiences that you want it to. And you've talked about some interesting release strategies, um, you know, whether it's the education platforms, um, churches. Um, yeah, I wonder if you could like tap into these sort of different alternative ways that you can get your film out there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's again, it's starting with who is my audience? How do I reach them? And also, like, what are the things that they're into in terms of entertainment? So, for example, um, Daughters of Eve is a feature documentary that I made, and it's around dismantling misogyny and patriarchy within the Christian faith. It's very, very – it's a religious film. So, number one, it did incredibly well overseas. It won Best Documentary at the Women's International Film Festival of Nigeria. It screened in Australia. It screened in France because Christianity is is global. So it actually – did really, really well. Um, and then when it came to distribution, rather than educational library distribution, which it it did get picked up by some um, theology programs and humanities studies programs, but what was really big was church screenings, because there are a lot of very progressive churches who are trying to incorporate these types of um, more liberal, more progressive conversations into their women's ministries, um, into just their subjects overall. So that was me putting together a list of 20 churches, 30 churches, 40 churches, and just reaching out to their executive directors or their pastoral team or whoever that was and letting them know either, you know, it's available to watch on Vimeo and they're like, oh, this is amazing. We're sending this out or we'd like to host a screening. And then at screening, letting people know they can go to the website, sign up for the mailing list. This is where you can tell your friends, families, whoever. So it was like a really grassroots approach to that. Um, and then in the educational library space, um, have a film, Black Feminist, and it's around black feminism. And it's really, it's a 60 minute, very concise educational film. And it did really well in schools. Um, streaming on Canopy right now. So if you have access to a library card, it's there. But um, it also was a part of a lot of different academic conferences, which was really, really interesting. Um, the Women's Museum in California did a digital exhibit on it. So like, Finding, again, like where those audiences are and how they would consume information is like really or, or entertainment is just where where I start before I figure out which channels to, yeah. to reach them. Yeah, I, I do think also the like as creative as you can be with distribution, especially as a micro budget is really useful. My like the first film I worked on was I was hired to do marketing for it. It's called Cement Suitcase. It has a wine theme. It's the same director of the movie we're on distro right now for. And I just we got a wineries list and I emailed hundreds of wineries saying, do you want to host a movie night at your winery? And I think we did like dozens and dozens of screenings, you know, uh, and, you know, like we charged a small fee, which is what your educational distributors are doing on your behalf. Mm -hmm. We were just doing it ourselves. Right. Mm -hmm. So like really whatever you can think of and whoever you're like this, it really comes down to a matter of like, you need to be comfortable emailing and calling people and cold calling your butt off because that's what it comes down to is like, you are limited by what you can come up with and who you're willing to talk to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, along these lines real quick, I was just there's a saying now if any of you listen to the indie film hustle, Alex Ferrari, really great indie filmmaking uh, podcast, but uh his saying is there's riches in the niches. And the point there is like find your community, find your niche audience that is already predisposed to like your content and that's a way that you can get into these lots of different creative distribution outlets is finding that connection between content and audience. You know, there's riches in the niches. So, you know, you don't always have to be thinking in those terms, but when you find those communities that align with your content, like get it to them, get it out yeah. there. Mm -hmm. And I know we're running short on time, but we did have a couple slides just to show some of the marketing. Do we think we have time? Um, we have some questions too. Let's just go to questions. One, yeah. one thing before we jump into questions, I just want to talk about. So all this distribution stuff, all this marketing stuff, it's a lot. It's 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 a lot to take in. There's a lot of details to it. There's reasons. There's people that make careers out of just all of these individual aspects of filmmaking. Yeah. And one thing I just wanted to note is that if you don't know what all of 
of this stuff is, if you don't know all the details, like that's fine. That's fine. That's okay. At the end of the day, don't let this stop you from getting out there and making your thing and making your art and yeah. continuing to grow as a filmmaker and grow your community, right? And like one other point I want to make is like, we are all here, the independent filmmaking community together, the micro-budget filmmaking community. So please, like, support each other. Watch each other's films. Watch micro-budget films. That's a great way to support people, too. Right. You know, connect with each other. This is much a part of the game as any of the marketing stuff that we're talking about. But at the end of the day, you need to, you need to go out there and make the films so people can see what you're capable of and see the, and hear the unique voice that you have inside of you. Oh, so don't let all this stuff stop you. The, the one, one thing I did really quickly want to tap on to, which might have to do with some of your questions is um, to sort of finish in on, on the sort of space of when you're starting your film, do you set aside a pot of gold, a pot of money that you're going to, uh, I'm going to send it to this many festivals, or I'm going to set aside this amount of money for distribution, um, trying to get it to with theatrical or, you know, do you think in terms of money um, at the start? You certainly should. You should. I mean, it costs money to submit to festivals, but I will just say you can get creative there too. If you've ever screened in a festival, email all those festivals and ask for a waiver. Yeah. Or if you've never screened in that festival, email those festivals and ask for a waiver. You're going to get told no a lot, but you might get told yes. Like this is, I think the big takeaway should be like, literally nothing can stop you. Like <laughs> just, just like if you are willing to ask, Someone will say yes eventually, right? Mm -hmm. It's just being able to be told no a hundred times mm -hmm. before someone is willing to tell you yes. And, say, and you know, being like, I have a vision. This is what I want. You do not need to have money stop you, I guess, especially not today. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, are the questions supposed to go to the mic? Um, yeah. Sorry, I think it's because they're recording it. Yeah, yeah. Line up with the microphone if you've got a question. I'm glad to use the mic, and I know we have to be quick because of time. So thank you so much. This was brilliant, and I so appreciate the answers that you've already given us. I have one question that may be offensive and then one that's <coughs> just very elementary. <laughs> Bring the um, offensive one. Love let's, it. Let's yeah. start with the offensive one. So if, if you know what your vision is and, and, and you know what you want to do, should you pay attention to any trends about what's making money or what people like or what is out there? And the second question is, when is your budget no longer a micro-budget? I just want to know what that looks like. As far as trends, like, again, it depends on how you are measuring success. You know, if you are like, I want as many people to see this film as possible, then you want to pay attention to what people are seeing and, and what audiences are seeing what and what they're gravitating towards. I like using trends as more of just like background information and more so like what are audiences gravitating towards and then what are these particular films doing that are making audiences so attracted to it so I can incorporate that into my distribution and marketing strategy. But it's not changing anything because ultimately the success for me is making the film I want to make. And, I, and knowing that the audience is going to come to my film if I'm strategic about that. So there are ways to utilize that trend-specific information. But me personally, I don't let that drive my creativity and, like, what I want to do. Nailed it. Thanks. Oh, yeah. I don't I, – to me, a micro-budget is, like, anything that you are – getting favors to make your movie like if you're if you're if you're like i mean okay at a certain point yes if you're spending hundreds of thousands of dollars it's tough to call it a micro budget at that sure. point but i do think like micro budget a micro budget film is one in which you are making creative trades i feel like more than anything mm -hmm. there is some money but what you are doing is collaborating and trying to find a different way to make your film <laughs> you know, with very limited resources. If your resources are very limited, you're making a micro budget. Like, mm -hmm. yeah. I don't know. There's a number. No, that's yeah, right. That's not really a number. I call it the credit card thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Thank you. My name is Antonia Carroll. I'm a writer and uh, actor. Hi. And my question is about the timeline for distribution and marketing. Um, let's say I finished my script. Um, should I be submitting to screenwriting festivals or should I start casting? And then at what point am I thinking about um, what other festivals for, <laughs> for screenings that I'm going to submit to um, distribution, things like that, just like what the timeline would be? 
Well, I'd say let's take the word should out there because okay. there's a lot of different ways to go about it. There's no one right way to go about it. And so it goes back to what we're talking about. What are your objectives, right? And you only have so much bandwidth as one creative person. Like you can only do so many things. That being said, it's absolutely – and these two will talk much more about it. But it's absolutely advantageous to start thinking about your marketing strategy, your distribution strategy early on to have some ideas about that stuff because there's lots of things that you can be preparing ahead of time, you know, having uh, behind the scenes on your, your shorter yeah. film, having people taking photos for you, thinking about promotional materials, thinking about, like, where you might target for your distribution. The, the earlier you think about that stuff, the easier you can make it out, out on yourself. But it's also – it's not essential. It's not essential. And if you don't do that stuff, it doesn't make you a failure or anything like that. Yeah. And I would say like, yeah, submit to everything, but sometimes that costs money, right? So that's a trade-off too. If you're saying, I'm going to submit my script to all this stuff, that could be hundreds of dollars. It could be hundreds of dollars that you're taking away from your short film budget. But I do think like, I do think an approach of like everything, as much as you can manage, you should do it all as soon as you can. And maybe that's a little overwhelming, but it's like a lot of times like submit to something, submit your script to things, maybe pick three that you think would actually benefit it or if it's worth the money and then forget about it. Move on. Move on to the next thing, right? I think you kind of – a part of micro-budgeting too is like you really can't depend on anything until it happens. So it's sort of like – Make your best efforts, but like don't get too attached to anything. Have a backup, have three plans past your original plan. Like it's about just being really creative in how you get your film made. Yeah. And it also just, you know, it comes down to what your goals are for the film. If you want this to be an award winning film, then you, the festivals are going to be top of mind for you. But for me, it's like I, I map out my marketing and distribution strategy that helps craft my my schedule. If I have a film festival deadline that I want to meet, then I back out my production from that date. I know I have to have picture lock by this date. I know that I have to have, you know, things in order by by this particular date. Um, but it's also like don't get too caught up in where it's going before it's made because you need to have something to actually submit. You know, so like once your script is done and you're ready to make the thing, focus on making the thing. Yeah. Okay. And one, one thing I'll just say on submitting to things in terms of film festivals, in terms of screenwriting competitions, a lot of them suck and are not worth your time, are yeah, not worth true. your dollars. So 100%. be like before you submit to anything. I know that you get this excitement. You're like, oh, I'm going to submit to a thing. Maybe I can win. But like there's a lot of things that are just there to take your money and will yeah. be no benefit to you even if you get into them. Yeah. Screenwriting competitions and grant competitions and film festivals. So just be like – I understand the excitement of clicking that submit button and, and, and submitting to something, but be very discerning. Do your research yeah. on things before you submit to them. Make sure it's really going to be worth your time yeah. if you get into it because a lot of them are just there to exploit you. Yeah, thank you. And people only have so much bandwidth. So if at a certain point you're like, this is not fulfilling for me, just move on to the next thing. Like, that's okay too. Yeah. You yeah. got to be honest with how much you can yeah. handle. Yeah. I have... I just wanted to, I just thought of something quickly, but I, I, I also wanted to say, think of international. Um, there are, um, I go to Cannes and I've, I've gone to incredible panels that are French based, uh, sales agents that specifically deal with short films or specifically deal with micro budgets. And there's such a big audience in Europe for this type of material. So you might struggle here in the U.S., but if you start getting exposure over there or in a country that you're from or somewhere abroad and then you come back here, you know, that can often help you. So I, I, I would encourage to think big. Hi, this is a very valuable panel, panel for me. I teach in the film program at Full Sail University in Orlando, mm -hmm. and I'm here at this panel because one of my students came to me last week and said, you know, I think I can make a feature for $11,000. I'll be able to make my money back, right? <laughs> and my question to him was not, what's your goal? My question was, what's your plan? And he didn't have one. Yeah. But my question then is, because you, Laura, you mentioned the creative trades. We can make trades because people want to be... DPs that were camera operators, so yep. they'll work for us for free. Yeah. What on the marketing side can you trade if you want to get somebody like you who uh, would call 100 different wineries to get the movie <laughs> yeah. screened and yeah. all of that? Yeah. I mean, that's that's a good point. So I, I will say, full disclosure, like that was a paid position. It wasn't very well paid, but it was paid, mm -hmm. right? And so that's something, too, where like that's a little tricky because I think that's – I think – I will say like for me – 
I work mostly as a producer. I find directors that I connect with, and especially on their short films, I don't ever make money. But I'm willing to hustle for them, right? Because I like their like I'm the person that's going to be emailing on behalf of that director. So I would encourage this director to find a producer that feels that way. Like, is that easy? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Right. But like these shorts I've made two of them, one of them sojourn is a narrative status pending is a doc. You know, these are filmmakers that I collaborated with because I believe in their vision and I like them as people. And that means I am for like, these are movies I made years ago. I will Hustle these movies forever. If I think I can find another opportunity for these movies, I'm going to. And I'm not going to – there is no timeline for those movies in my mind either. If I can find a distributor who wants to play ball, like let's do it, right? It does get trickier, but like that's the reality. Like you have to find a core team I think that's willing to to hustle forever for that film. But over time you just – you get more projects. It becomes trickier, right? But like – and and I will say, like, as a director, if you are a micro-budget director, you're a producer. None of the none of the directors I work with are not helping in a producerial capacity. And I think it's unfair of a director to think, yeah. I'm going to get someone to come on to my project and I'm not going to have to do any of the producing legwork. Right. If you are a micro-budget director, you are a producer and you are going to have to do some of that stuff. 100%. I just don't call myself a producer because I don't want to be a producer. As and a that's fair. But I think it's like it's it's like anyone who is directing micro yeah. budgets knows they're doing producing yeah. stuff, a- but they still need a producer. Yeah. 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 And also, like, I love working with students, college students, going to film programs, marketing programs, PR programs, and saying, um, "I'm looking for a, a marketing students or interns who are willing to, you know, work on this particular project for a six month." span in exchange for credit or in exchange for whatever and here's an email list or here's you know I I need you to run the social for this for this page I did that for for one of my films they ran the Twitter page and did a phenomenal job putting together the social media calendar and telling me about the algorithms and they were able to like put that in their portfolio as like I actually did this for an award-winning film and you know it ended up getting their first out of school job as well, which was really cool. But like there, there are definitely ways to, to barter and collaborate in, in any facet of film production. And I think marketing for me, just leaning into to students. Yeah. And I think there's just certain aspects of the filmmaking and it's typically the aspects that people aren't looking to do creatively as a career, but, and can make easily money doing it. Uh, yeah. It's just, it's much harder to not pay for those things, for example, right. you know, and just knowing that as a filmmaker ahead of time and setting aside some of that funding, being realistic about that is a great place to be. Like for me, like a good sound person, like you can almost never found, find a good sound person who's going to work absolutely for free. You're yeah. going to have to pay some amount of money for that. That is position very true. <laughs> yeah. Pay a, a sound person who's going to get you good audio. You That's the biggest forgive, micro budget tip. Yes. <laughs> people forgive shitty visuals. They will never forgive shitty sound. And ever. like knowing that ahead of time you can budget for that right Right. and okay i got this budget it's got to go this much to sound marketing's another one it's really hard to do that find people to do that for free and so how are you going to build that into your budget ahead of time and then where is that going to take from what other places are we going to have to i'm going to have to take it on as a filmmaker i'm going to have to make it work or i'm going to hopefully have a team around me but you know what sometimes as an independent filmmaker it's hard to rally a team a team because as you all know, making movies is really fucking hard, and there's not that many people who are always down to do it. So it's like, you know, sometimes you just got to take more on yourself. You got to always be initiating your own stuff, and that doesn't mean that you're lesser. It just means it's really hard to make movies. Thank you. Hi, really quick. I have a question if you guys wouldn't mind sharing a little bit of how you balance, because you say you have full-time jobs, and I, I've struggled for many years and decided to go into academics to you know, to be more, to have a more stable living. Mm-hmm. And um, on that path, luckily, I actually went back to school and the the, the school production got in here. So, yeah, great. But, but I'm still not like, I'm aware I have to, I make this academic choice. I'm going to stick with it to make sure I could pay my bills. Yeah. Meanwhile, so can you share a little bit about how, what's that like? What do you... <laughs> 
do to to be a filmmaker yeah. and yeah yeah know. I mean I would say like there's gonna be times in your life where you're out of balance like and that's just gonna be a part of the process the stress level is gonna be high but you can't do that forever or else you're gonna burn out you're not gonna survive it and you're just gonna want to quit filmmaking we don't want you to quit filmmaking we want you to keep making your art and so finding that time and that space for yourself whatever it means for you as an individual because our brains all all work differently we all have different needs is important right but at the end of the day remember you got to have your survival needs met first before you can be creative. It's almost impossible to be creative if you're if you don't feel like your rent is paid, if you don't feel like you have the money to put food on the table. So first off, forgive yourself for for going out and making money and maybe not being as creative as you want to be. And then once you're ramping up into those projects, yeah. say, "Hey, I can be overwhelmed. I can be out of balance for a time." But eventually, you got to start questioning, how am I getting back to balance? What am I going to let go of so that I can take care of myself, so I can rest, so I can get a full night's yeah. sleep, so yeah. I can eat, so I can be less stressed? <clears throat> like, And it's uh, – unfortunately, there's no – I don't have I'm – I'm way out of balance right now. I'm trying to figure <laughs> it out myself. There's no magic bullet to it. But it's just about being conscious of the state that you're in and doing little work over time to restore yourself to that place where, you know, you are more healthy, more more – ready to make another film and then return back to that healthiness again. I do three things. Number one, it, this is before the pandemic even. Every single one of my production meetings for any of my projects was virtual because having to get in a car and drive and go somewhere and meet, no. After work, I'm clicking a link, whether we're going over the shot list, whether we're going over the production schedule, whether we're doing a table read, everything is virtual. So that saved and maximized a lot of time for me. Number two, I found my time pockets. If my job is nine to five, that means Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, or Tuesday and Thursday, I'm picking two days where before work, from 6 a.m. to 8 a.m., that's when I wrote my future. From 6 a.m. to 8 a.m., I turned my phone on Do Not Disturb. All I did was write for three months, got the script done. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, after work, from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m., those are my time pockets where I'm doing the production schedule, where I'm doing whatever. But literally finding those pockets of time and only working on one project at a time. I will only do one film at a time, and I will not start working on another film until the other film is done. Because, again, there is no rush when you have a full-time job and your needs are met. So you don't have to be juggling a bunch. So virtual Finding the time pockets and working on one project at a time are literally how I'm able to continuously just like keep it going. I've made 15 films and directed eight of those. And I've had a full-time job since I got out of college. <laughs> it's just always been that way. Yeah. I think yeah. I think make it last yeah, point. I mean, and... it's, it's the same. I work a full-time job and that's why I can make these micro budgets where I'm not getting paid. And that's something like, that's something where with the crew, I like, I don't ever want crew like, some people are making their life as freelance crew, right? So they're probably not a good fit for your short film. It is probably going to be people who are working, who have a paycheck, who can like have that luxury, right? So it's a, it's like a respect thing as well. But same, I work and then I go home and I work on the side projects. I find time on the weekends. I, It, it basically means you're kind of going all the time. But it is like you need to take care of yourself and find breaks and find outlets. But And I will say like I think that like – the projects I've made on the fringes are the ones I'm like most proud of, right? Because what I'm getting paid for is so that I can live my life. I do interesting work. I like it. But it is those short films that I made in my off time that I'm the most proud of. I think we have to finish. I know you had another question. Um, one. I swear it's the last one. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm Tatiana Bejarrusi. I'm a student at Carnegie Mellon University. Uh, and I wanted to know like in a specific example of what you consider an, a success and how did you do the distribution for each of you? Oh, we, do we, do we have time to answer yeah. this? We That's might have to question. real quick. Yeah. Let's talk about it. We'll happily talk to you outside about that. Yeah. That's a very big question, but yeah, I think we got to wrap it up. Unfortunately. Yeah. yeah we do. Thank you. But yeah, it is a good question. It's a great question. Thank, Thank you. Everybody. Everybody. Thank you. Everyone. Thank you.